It's our wrap of the top business stories and uh, I'm joined by Makwe Masilela, Chief Investment Officer and founder at Makwe Fund Managers to take a look at the big stories in the world of money and power. Makwe, what's AJ? Sweet, how's it? Lochani. Hey, 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 Lochani, Lochani, Masilela. How are you, brother? I'm Rara Oko. I'm Rara Oko. Oh, I like that language. You must teach me, man, Makwe. I'm in Kulmeng Umbrata Nechem, you know. Hey, how are you doing, brother, on this Africa day? No, 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 I'm good, and you? I'm well, man, I'm well, I'm well. Marco, I want us to start in the, in the retail sector. I mean, from time to time, you know, when, when you look at the market news, you sometimes find a gem of an article from an analyst, right? So the yeah. people who sit and are sitting there supposed to be analyzing, you know, uh, certain companies and advising people on where to invest and also, I guess, you know, making capital allocation decisions. This time around, something interesting, I think Kyle McLaughlin is the guy, um, talking about the retail sector. Now, uh, you know, he mapped out some of the issues around gross profit margins for certain food processors and retailers. Uh, but the conclusion he arrives at is that uh, many of these white label you know, uh, campaigns on the part of uh, some of these companies are effectively killing some of the branded processes. So let's maybe start at first principles. What is white labeling? Um, and I guess, you know, um, let's talk now then about, I guess, the fight over margins between the white labeled ones and the brands that we all know and I guess can recognize. Basically, white labeling, what they do, they sell you something that is known as a brand, but it's not branded Marque as it's known as a brand. They just branded the name of the shop. And you get companies who do those kind of stuff, meaning instead of buying it from the, that other manufacturer, maybe who used to produce, say, maybe Oros, maybe you buy it from someone mm. who will still make the very same Oros, but now they'll brand it like, say, uh, Woolworths or Spa or Pick and Pay or ShopRite. And as a result, it makes it cheaper compared to the branded one. Just like any other thing, when it comes to branding, you pay a premium for a particular brand. Hence, the white labeling becomes much cheaper. Mm, mm. And I mean, that's that's the case where I guess, you know, the shop rights and the pick and pays of the world would have their own in-store brands. Uh, and it seems that consumers are a bit more cost-conscious uh, during this moment. And I guess you can understand why with all of the um, disruptions brought about by COVID-19. Many people have been laid off, lost their jobs. Some are on short time. Some have had their wages cut. Um, sure. It certainly does make, I guess, a white label uh, alternative or a substitute to the branded uh, uh, one uh, a lot more compelling. Definitely. And in my opinion, it was easily accepted because this was started mainly by the big guys mm. or the guys who are known to be selling good quality stuff, the likes of Woolworths, because they're big with that. So now if it could be sold by the likes of Woolworths, so when you get other companies following suit, it's easy for us consumers to accept that, you know what, there's nothing wrong with this kind of brand. The quality is still okay. And then hence we are buying them. And as you rightfully said, it's more a question of value for money. Mm, mm. And I guess, you know, if you think about a group like Lipstar, for instance, who gives us Lancewood uh, cheese, I mean, they make about 47% of their money just based on that particular business. This business of going out to some of the different retailers who also sell some of your own branded products and making you know, substitute products for them. 
Yeah, I, I'm not sure if we are allowed to say it's more of a generic, you know, when maybe we have to compare it with pharmaceutical, you know, that you are still more of a generic, still doing the same stuff, still being okay, no side effects, but doing the job yeah, at yeah. much half the time. Exactly. So, you know, don't think that uh, the other one, Mkokotelo, they actually in some cases made in the same factory or within close proximity, you know. Uh, I'm not sure who to Mkokotelo, you know. <laughs> no, I mean... An, it's a, it's a, it's a, it, they're doing it in a cheaper and simplified way and they don't make you pay for the name. Mm, mm, and I guess that there's a big question around that brand premium and that's why, uh, yes, you know, the whole definitely. sort of argument in the article was that you know, that brand premium means very little in a context where some of these no-name brands are effectively eating the lunch of the brands that we have become, come to recognize. No, definitely. And then I think maybe just goes with any other name that, hey, we've built a name over a period of time. It carries something, mm. so you have to pay, you know, the minute you start now talking or using our name. And you are right. Most of these things, if we dig deeper, you will realize that some of them are just paying for the name. Actually, the quality is just the same. Hmm. Paying for the brand, paying for the, I guess, uh, the brand name rather than maybe uh, any additional value that one might get uh, nutritionally or otherwise. Mark, well, I remember talking to you um, a few times about this story, um, least of all in KZN, of what has become known as the construction mafia. And it seems there's a, there's a few groups. I mean, I've heard from people from KZN. Uh, there's a group, Delangokbona. Uh, apparently, there's another group called Mlilo. Um, and... It seems now that uh, it's no longer just confined to, you know, the, the, the construction sector, but has now also gone to the Northern Cape uh, copper zinc mining belt. Uh, and seemingly the same demand, uh, give us that 30%, which is out there, there in the triple PFA, the Preferential Procurement Policy Framework Act, um, and give us that money. And then, you know, uh, if not, uh, we'll certainly make sure that uh, protests halt your operations. But, but that's outright wrong, you know. You cannot be there. Yeah, like 1991. Exactly. 30 years back. Here are the guys coming from Australia, coming with their money, managed to raise money, managed to get their money right over a period of time because they realized that, hey, copper prices holding at almost $10,000 a ton. I mean, they've never been at those levels for mm. quite some time. It becomes profitable to mine that mine and also don't be coming with the new equipment, machinery to mine it much cheaper. I mean, you are trying to help the economy that side, you know. So, yes, you cannot allow something like that to get to that point that people can even have the gas yeah, to even maybe go there with mm. pangas, with some um, uh, semi-automatic rifles. We shouldn't get there because those even guys probably are not even licensed. But you see, Mark, it speaks volumes about two things. One, the widespread lawlessness yes. at a community level that we see. And it's not unique to these communities in Priska, they're in the Northern Cape, everywhere sure. you go. You see the same issue. The second one is this lack of an identifiable and credible local structure in the community that can speak on behalf of the community uh, and in some cases be the voice of that community in a credible fashion. And I think that is a, maybe another question around political leadership and a, you know, a debate for another day. But it certainly does complicate because the assumption when we make these laws, Mark, if you want a social and labor plan or you have you know, licensing requirements or a mining charter that says certain percentage must go to the community and you read all of these things within the framework of that mining legislation and the procurement legislation, you are hoping that there'll be functional institutions at a local level 
that can be able to benefit from the, uh, you know, from from that sure. from that legislation. But I think we've taken that for granted, uh, and and you know the chickens are coming home to roost now because there's a clear sense at a local level that in some cases they're free for all because there's no one genuine credible structure that is, I guess, the vehicle and the voice of people at that level. You are right, because people are not properly organized. And yes, coming from the side of the government, they should be helping, you know, to mm. have those structures in place. And even those companies that operate into those areas, when they come in there, when they have the public hearings to get those mining rights, they should be able to establish those proper structures that here's a structure that we'll deal with. Here's a structure which is approved by the community. It's not like some big mouths who will be leading mm. and making some uh, self-benefit of this whole thing but yes i agree with you that part is lacking and i think we should be learning from that part that does not justify lawlessness and the government should act on that but you are so right let's have because some of these communities they don't even understand all these Mm. principles they need someone to guide them and here you have to get all the stakeholders involved to come with something proper but yeah you are right but hey even though we don't have those proper structures, we cannot allow those scams, you know, mm. who usually go around and do stuff like that. Here you are talking about yeah. huge investment that we desperately need as a country. Here you are talking about an economy which has already been downgraded to junk because the economy is not growing. And now you will allow some investment to be disturbed by some few mm. individuals for their own selfish reasons. I mean, it's not right. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess my, you know, you know, Mark, with the other story, um, when it relates to this particular issue, we had a chat yesterday with Snesipo, um, on the issue in Richards Bay, uh, yes. and the challenges there, Richards Bay minerals, uh, that that sure. uh, um, Rio Tinto operation there, person getting shot, um, so in a sense, what we're starting to see here is not just large scale opportunism on the part of some of the companies, their PE partners, some of the you know, community voices that get in on the action in some cases. But even those people who are excluded and are sitting on the margins and saying, yeah, Jiwapas Bugel. But the second thing, Makwe, is is the sense that lawlessness can take root um, and there's no police, there's no mind security. Yet when there's protests, those are the people you see first in line, police and then the mind security. So so I'm sitting here quite confused, Makwe, that all of these things can be happening. Uh, and yet, you know, when there are protests, even in places like Priska, but when it comes to some of these incidences, assassinations of people, uh, you know, intimidation and all manner of other things, we don't see we don't see the same law enforcement response. And it also talks to, I mean, who you are. If I'm able to pick up a phone and call the commissioner, the provincial commissioner, that please send to a guy here, definitely they will respond. But yes, we're talking about the situation where we don't have enough policing. But at the very same time as well, talking to those companies, by all means, and they're not going to admit it, they should also stop to become arrogant. They should also stop knowing that, listen, we know we've no people at the right places. We'll press a button. Mm. We know that we've got the balance sheet. We've got the cash. We'll take you to court. I mean, that arrogance as well doesn't work well. You shoot a jail with the community. Take them in your confidence. Work with them. Work with them. And yes, those who have been sitting forever, you know, now is our turn. Mm. To some extent, they've got a point. It cannot only be the same faces every day. 
that it's lead wow. those kind of consortiums that continues to benefit from that. We cannot carry on like that. Our country cannot afford that at all. At some point, it's going to catch up with us. That if it is not yet already, you know, all there that we are facing the music now, because it cannot always be the same people. And arrogance, I, it doesn't help. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, because these big guys, they know who to call. By the way, mm. you know. They've got the right contacts. They know who to call, whether it's a local guy or a provincial guy or a national guy, and they rely on that. And sometimes they take this, um, some of these things for granted up until it comes to that boiling point. But that does not still justify lawlessness. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure, Mark. And I think there's uh, a lot of issues here that remain unresolved um, and that uh, we're going to have to pay some attention to because, you know, if you're thinking about not just, you know, mining, which I often see just as a sunset industry and we can have that discussion. But even projects now, it seems like in the renewable space where similar sure. demands are going to be made because the same obligations to have community involvement, to have the involvement of black people, uh, you know, all of those things um, are at play and there's contentious political economy issues around who gets what um, and, of course, the role of many of the communities that exist alongside these operations. So, yeah, it's certainly one of those tough ones, but um, I guess uh, one of the issues that uh, is a uniquely South African issue. Another uniquely, another uniquely South African issue now, Mark, where is ESCOM? <laughs> now, ESCOM is on like 500 billion, I mean, half a trillion nearly in debt. It seems now they are at 400, and uh, I guess we must note the improvement and commend it. But, uh, yeah, 400 billion, I mean, I, I can't even think in those numbers. <laughs> oh, yeah. The guys paid 83 billion because some of the bonds were maturing. They didn't have much of a choice. That's number yeah, one. Yeah, and then they benefited from the better, you know, a stronger hand. Yeah. A bond more choice, if you don't pay it, then you have to roll it over. Mm. But if you roll it over, then you have to roll it over at high interest rate. Mm. So you might as well pay. Mm. And number two, we know sometime in January, they got money, then they settled almost 1.75 billion US dollar of maturing euro bonds. I mean, at a 15 rand exchange rate, that gives you almost 26.2 billion rand. Mm. But it was not their money. That was the capital injection from government. We know ESCOM as it is today, it cannot, it's not generating enough money to meet their operational expense. And everyone who's into business then knows good you cannot exist as a business. If you cannot afford the operational expense, let alone enough money to pay for interest on that debt. But I guess it was a wise move, whoever advised them, you know, to pay whatever they can pay, get People get money wherever they can so that the guys will be in the position if a need arises that they can go back into the capital markets and try to get more money going mm. forward. As it is, this is the company that told us that they themselves can only service debt which is sitting around 200 billion. So now they're looking to work out this other 200. How will they do that? And they've been my him him that there might be plus minus 100 million, I mean, 100 billion thereof that can be reinvested into a special purpose vehicle that has to be managed by the PIC. And hey, by the way, PIC owes almost 95 billion 
of those bonds. No, they so must make that equity, man. They must convert that thing so that nurses, teachers, and whomever own part of ESCOM. Whatever no, new ESCOM emerges. Never do that. Because remember, if now, if I'm a bondholder, at least I'm getting interest. But if I'm an equity holder, I'm a shareholder, I have to wait for you to make profit so that you pay me dividends. When is ESCOM will be able to make profit to so, pay but, me but, dividends? Then this is the issue, right? How confident are we then in this organizational restructuring if we have no you know uh, a likely prospect in the near future or even in my grandchildren's generation <laughs> that escom is going to turn a profit then who, who must who must take the shave all of us as south africans not public sector not the public servants alone who take the the the, 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 the beating all of us have to contribute towards that hmm. all hmm. of us hmm. and if they divide that into three you know, as they were saying, you know, three divisions, then probably they will divide that. But you know what's very interesting? Accountability seems to be selective at some point. Mm. Because as we're talking today, someone should be taking responsibility of all the current mess that we're seeing at ESCO. Where is SIU and the AFU? And you know, I'm not even talking about stealing money. I'm talking about wrong decision-making. You know, that's another issue where people... No, I mean, look, even the wrong decision-making, I think, I I mean, I see those as one, right? Wrong decision-making and the ones who have fleeced the money. Let's follow, you know? Yeah, I I don't know you remember the story about that transaction or that contract that was given by uh, Tony gave to Altron. And Auditor General said that that contract was not right. Mm. It had to be cancelled. Then Altron took them to court. And they are, that contract is back again. Who's taking the hit when it comes to the Auditor General? Because that person made a wrong call mm. and there were opportunity costs Mark. for that thing to be cancelled. All I'm trying to say yeah. is that we need to be accountable at all levels. Let's it doesn't have to be you just live on a tender, Let's. stuff like that. But at all levels. Mark. Because hey, Mark. We had a, yeah, we had a, a spot break there that was nearing on us. Uh, so that's okay. why I wanted you to pause there for a second. But tell us the story of the Ultron deal. Um, and I guess you're making a point there around where accountability should rest. I'm saying accountability doesn't have to be selective. And I'm bringing that as an example. That the Auditor General, together with the municipality or whatever, they said that Ultron deal was not proper. It was not awarded the right way, stuff mm. like that. It has to be cancelled, the long and short. But then Ultron took them to court. And the court said, no, Ultron, you are right, you've got a case. So I'm saying, Aya, when you cancel that contract, there was some opportunity cost, stuff like that. But who's taking accountability for that? Whether is there someone at the Ultra General who made that call who's now being accountable? Mm. Or is there someone from Swani or from the DA itself, you know, whoever was in charge of that municipality to say now, let's be accountable. So I'm saying, if we are serious about fixing these things, guys, let us not be selective. That cannot be right. So my point here as well is that ESCOM has got its own stories. Mm. 20, 30 years back, whether people, number one, they didn't build the, what do you call it, the power stations on time, whether people were overpaying, whether people stole money, whatever it is, but the bottom line is ESCOM, it is at the state because something right was not done. People didn't make the right decision. And those people should mm. be accountable. So all I'm trying to say is that some of these things, if we just maybe going to pay lip service to them, we're not getting anywhere. Sure. Just putting the plaster on top of the crack mm. is not going to help us at all. And as we're talking now with 
ESCOM. I'm happy for them as they're saying that they managed to pay some of the debt because it's a wise move should they need a rise, that they need more money. They can easily go back to the capital market probably and get some of their money. Listen, no one will hesitate to buy ESCOM bonds. Why? More than two-thirds of that has been guaranteed mm. by government. Mm. And government will always try to make sure it doesn't have what they call, uh, what they call cross default. Sure, so sure. they have to make sure that if they came to maturity, if interest has to be paid, it definitely government will make sure that it happens. Whether whatever way they're going to do it, but you cannot afford the default. So yes, it was wise for them to do that because now it gives their balance sheet a bit of a, of a pressure because the debt has been lessened mm. by almost 20%. Sure. But the point here is we should not be selective. Whether we have to go to the Auditor General or to the DA-led municipality and say, guys, now who's going to be facing the music? Mm. Whether we have to go back to ESCOM, whatever it is, that has to happen at some point. Makwe? Hello? Let me give you a chance, man, to go charge up your generator, uh, just in case they switch us off tonight. <laughs> yeah, because they have us on standby. Kutwe, I'm going to be sure, guys, but Eliza Zabakona the whole day. I mean, I'm not using lights. I mean, I'm having candlelight dinner. I'm on oh, candles forever because off I cannot grid, rely on you off guys. Off-grid. Makwe? Shab shab, bro. Eight out, yeah. Makwe is an off-grid solution type guy. Hmm?